Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucette, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette. As we do every week, chatting with a, another martial artist about their, their background, kind of how they got into it, and, and how they've used martial arts throughout their everyday life. And today's guest is someone I've, I've known for quite a while, and it's kind of funny. I, when I first met him, didn't know he was a martial artist, and kind of met him under different circumstances through the world of theater. Um, he's actually uh, used to be a teacher. He was a director, taught stage combat at a local performing arts school. He, he's even a local celebrity with our local... Uh, uh, um, independent baseball team. So, but, and, uh, and I just finished a Shields commercial. So oh, that's well, really. Go. So now I go all the way down to Texas, my nice. friend. Now, <laughs> even a bigger celebrity. There so there we, we go. go. So there we go. So <laughs> please welcome to the show, my good friend Bill Lucas. How you doing, sir? Doing great, Brian. Thanks a lot. Oh, definitely glad you could do this. So, like I do with all my guests, we're going to go back to the beginning. Let's talk about that. Maybe not when you first started, but where was that first interest, that first spark? What made, gave you that first thing? Hey, martial arts. This yeah, really I think cool. most people try and say they saw a Bruce Lee movie or something like that. And really, that wasn't what happened to me. Basically, I'm, I'm in front of you. And you can see I'm five foot six. Back in high school, I weighed maybe 135. And I had a football coach that said, Do you want to play football in college? I thought he was making fun of me. It's like, oh, thanks a lot, coach, you know. <laughs> and he said, no. He says, I think you've got a skill level for Division Three. I had no clue what Division Three was. But basically, I explained Division Three as it's like high school without the crowd. Okay, that's <laughs> Division Three football. And so I thought, sure. So I went to his college, Marietta College in Ohio, played Division Three football for four years in college. Well, then when you get out of college, football is not a sport that you're going to play for a lifetime unless you go pro, or, and even then, not much. So I got out of college, and I thought, I've been doing physical stuff my whole life, so what am I going to do now? And I heard about this martial arts studio in Covington, Kentucky, and uh, I didn't go shopping for studios. I didn't you know, go to a bunch of different ones to check it out. Mm -hmm. I just walked into this one, and it was... The person in charge of it was Sensei Dimitri. He was a large man. He was a cop. I didn't know this at the time, but he learned the martial art that he taught called Chito Ru, which was named after Dr. Chitose in Japan. And it was a hard style. We never wore pads. Uh, so when I see uh, people in Kumite or fighting and they have all the pads on, nothing against it. That's you know what they do. Mm -hmm. But we never did because that was how he was taught. And he was like, if you make a mistake, you're going to feel it. <laughs> and I did a few times. The closest thing we came to helping someone if they had an injury is you would tie a red piece of cloth. Like if you injured your ankle or a knee, you'd tie it so that no one went after that. Oh, Just okay. to kind of, it's there because we weren't there to hurt each other. But he wanted you, if you got punched in the ribs, he wanted you to feel it. You know, the only place we could not contact was the face. Okay. Every place else was fair game. Um, so it was hard style. It was 
much harder than any practice I ever had in football. And so basically, like I said, long story longer, I was looking for something physical to do. I'm 22 years old, fresh out of college, full of piss and vinegar, thinking I am you know, five foot six, but I'm a stud because I just played four years of football. <laughs> and so I went to this dojo and it was, it was like I was home. It was, this is where I'm supposed to be. I should mention I did get, because of drama, I had an interest in Asian culture because I took an Asian theater class. Oh, okay. And that got me interested in the Asian culture. So I'll be real honest, I started taking karate so that I could punch and kick and defend myself and hurt people if it was necessary. Within two months, that was the last thing I thought about. Wow. Uh, Sensei Dimitri's, his big thing was... Uh, he said one time, why do you study karate? You know, and people, whatever. When he asked questions, we usually didn't answer because he really was just <laughs> glaring at us. And uh, he said, "He said first, you don't study karate to fight. He said, you, you study karate to be in the best shape you can ever be in. And if you're walking down the street and there's a fire and someone's stuck in a third story, you're strong enough. You keep your head enough. You can run up there and save them and get them down. That's why you study. Wow. You don't study to harm people. So it was like, oh, And also he had some of the greatest stories that we would just, you know, I can't kneel now because of my knees, but literally sit in, um, I think it's Zazon position. It's been so long, I might say the wrong name, Mm -hmm. but we would kneel half an hour listening to his stories and they were never embellished or something to entertain us. There's always a message with it. Okay. Uh, And we learned the biggest message when I came to the dojo one night and noticed that a lot of people were missing and I wasn't sure what happened. I'd found out that sensei Dimitri had thrown out half the school. Wow. He heard that some of them were going out and starting fights and finished them to prove how tough they were. And so he uh, he always said, I can't have a dojo where that's the income I have to have to survive because I can't run it my way. Um, since he was a police officer that covered it, but he literally kicked out half of them and said, don't ever come back to my dojo. Wow. So that was where it's like, oh, this guy's serious about... If you have to, yes, but you never start and you never, whatever. The other lesson of his, which I thought was really cool, was uh, one day we were we were studying and we came back and the whole locker room was spotless, perfect. And we're wondering because we had small lockers, places to hang things. Well, Sensei had gone in before class started and saw that it was a mess. He took everything and threw it out the window. <laughs> Just throw it out. And he said, if you guys don't care about this as much as whatever, I don't care about your stuff. Wow. So again, it was like no warning, no nothing. We remembered that. So guess what? Everything was always hung up. There was never anything on the floor. So as you can see, uh, and I think part of the reason why I like that was that was how I learned football. Mm -hmm. You know, I very seldom got a pat on the butt. It was all, it was usually, Lucas, what's your problem? You know, and I was just, so this really kind of fit with what I understood. So that's how I got started. Nothing more than I needed a physical activity and I thought it was one thing and it led to another, which I really enjoyed. So depending on your memory, just take us through like a typical class, like okay. maybe the, the first one or just some, sure. some things that stood out in some of the classes, some sure. of the things you did for a workout and whatever. Yeah. Well, um, the first class I went to, basically this was actually, I learned, I would have learned as an educator of how you are able to individualize for students along in the same class. Cause once I got past this one beginning part as a white belt, I was in with black belt. So we just like learn it, mm-hmm. deal with it. But I still remember there were, I'm going to count cause I'm going to do them in front of you. So <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Okay. There were 10 basic hand movements mm-hmm. that we had to learn. And until we learn those, 
we were not allowed to go into the regular class. And that, and again, there was nothing ever a timeline on when to learn something. When you learned it, you moved up. If it took you two days or two years, you don't move past it because there was none of this. uh, How would I say? um, I would, like I said, it was none of this where you kind of know it. Mm -hmm. There is no kind of, there is, is or isn't. What is that? Yoda says there, there, you do or don't, there is no try, yes, whatever, yes. something like that. Well, that was what it was. He was like, either you can do it or you can't, so yeah. don't deal with it. Or Mr. Miyagi, Mr. try Miyagi. to do yes, try to do no, try to do maybe. Yes, exactly, yeah. same thing. <laughs> so so that was it, and I was at that stage, and so, man, I can't believe this is going back. Folks, in case you're wondering, I'm going back 40 years right now. Mm-hmm. And so I remember the main dojo was a step down. So we were in this small room that had maybe... Usually beginners, there was probably no more than three or four at a mm-hmm. time. And uh, so there were three or four of us. And I, you know, I'd been an athlete all my life. I could take directions real well, instructions. And so by after the third class, since Dimitri said, go down there. And I was like, what for? Because again, you also never asked when you would be able to do it. None of the, you don't ask. When he decides, that's when it happens. And if he puts you down there and decides he made a mistake, you go right back where you were. Because like I said, there is no try. You do or don't. So that was my first class. And I kind of mentioned to people where it's it's not exact, but people always say, well, what's the difference between karate and taekwondo and all mm-hmm. those things? I said, you know, they're all similar. But uh, if I was going to explain the style of karate, I learned it was pretty much 50% hands, 50% legs. All right. And so... From what I understand with Taekwondo, maybe 70% legs. They do more kicking. It kind of depends on the school. Depends on the school. There's so many different systems, like the style of Taekwondo I've been training in for almost 30 years. Uh It's 50-50. It is, okay. And we actually mix in some ground stuff, too. Okay, all right. Uh, But but that's more of, that's how the instructor wanted it. Sure, right. Or if you look at Olympic Taekwondo, I would say that's more 90-10 with legs. So, And that's what I love about that, is even though I've been studying martial arts, you can still be ignorant in another one. Doesn't mean you're stupid, but you don't know. All I've ever seen in Taekwondo are competitions. Yep. So it's like, oh, they're, you know, kicking a lot. Also, we, uh, all of our kicks were basically for one reason, take them out. Mm-hmm. It's not just looking good. It's crescent kick and stuff. It's like, if you're doing kata, which if people don't understand, kata is when it's a prearranged set of movements that can look dance-like mm-hmm. and it is choreographed, but it was training as if there are people you're going against, but there's no one there, and so you're doing kata. So there we might have had some flourishes, but most of it was straightforward kick, straightforward punch, roundhouse. Oh, I don't think there was ever a jump into a kick because there was no support behind you. So that kick couldn't get its full power unless your leg was on the floor. So, and then the, my first experience with the makiwara, if people don't know what a makiwara is, they could be made differently, but the ones we had is a very, it's a post that's thicker at the bottom and it tapers as it goes up. So it does have some give to it. And then ours were wrapped in, um, think of just a rough rope, um, twine, twine like but yep. whatever. And again, that was the practice straight punch, maybe a, a knife hand, but it was basically to work on power and toughen up your knuckles, but not the type where some people have talked about, oh, well, you should be punching brick walls or whatever, so it maybe even breaks those knuckles so they form really strong. And since they Borkin was like, that's, no, we don't do that. <laughs> he said, you're getting enough here so that you'll have the power. 
And then he said, also, you'll learn to only punch with your two biggest knuckles. He said, I think it was a ball peen hammer. He says, because that knuckle on your little finger, he says, that breaks real easily. Yep. So you don't want to twist and hit that. So it, all of it may have seemed harsh, but it was the perfect training for what we needed. So after I got out of the class and went downstairs, basically, we would go through warm-ups, which could be some that seemed like American warm-ups, some that came from uh, karate in Asia, and then others where I felt just to see if they could make us drop. <laughs> uh, the first time I did knuckle push-ups, I thought my knuckles, because it felt like knives were going in there. Because, folks, there's not a whole lot of skin over top of your knuckles. Yep. And it was amazing. The first times I was trying this, uh, it's like, oh, I can't handle it. And so once you do that, then the next stage is they take you to, it would be knuckle push-ups with like three stops. So you push up a little, stop, and you'd hold it there in your arms. And then up again, not full extension, stop, and you'd hold it there. And then finally up, and we would do those. Well, what I thought I couldn't do within a month, I was like, oh, okay. You know, the, the muscles, shoulders, and chest and stuff were still getting worked. But my fist felt like, oh, no, I can do this, no big deal. So we would do the warm-ups. And then after that, we would go through front punch, uh, front block, head block, front kicks, side kicks, roundhouse kicks, and everything was done without a person. It was just getting, again, okay. technique was more important than sloppy power. He was like, right. technique first, power will come. Also, everything we did was low stance. And the lower your stance, the harder it is to do those. But again, it's one of those things where like, if you can do it in a low stance, you can do it a little bit higher up. The lower stance works the leg muscles. You get the power. So I still remember that my first time the, the quad started quivering. Mm. You know, you're there. And so then that would be happening. Then we'd go to kata. And as I said, kata is um, very uh, prearranged set of movements. And this is where the class would start to separate. Everybody would do the basic kata. And if that was the only one you knew, then you would st step out and watch the next kata. And step out to where usually it was maybe one or two people doing the last one because again if you can't do it well you don't do it mm -hmm. and so once but the the part that i always thought was again it sounds terrible but it was awesome there is and again since it's 40 years folks i might be using the wrong terminology is the shinai the staff that's yes. kind of it's got bamboo so that it can move it's not a solid piece exactly well our sensei again he didn't usually correct by saying straighten out your leg or do this while we're doing kata, we would freeze, and my hamstring got hit more than you can imagine because I didn't lock it in. And he would just come by, bam, okay, lock that one in. I would do it. And again, it wasn't out of malice because he did it to black belts. He did it. It was just like you do or you don't. There's mm -hmm. no. And so that would be with kata. And then we'd usually uh, finish up with sparring of some kind. Now, the cool part about this was that was where I learned the best instructors are not the ones that can defeat someone lesser. It's the one that can make the lesser students become better. And right. so that means they have to back themselves off because they would have destroyed me, you know, whatever. Uh, now, they don't back off to where, again, it's never let that person win. I always lost, but I still could see the improvement. And also, Sensei would watch to make sure, because if he wasn't there, some of the black belts, they were the instructor for that class. So if he saw a black belt that he thought was maybe taking advantage and he didn't think that was good, again, he never said a word. He never said a word. And can I tell you a quick story? Yes. Okay. This was one of the, one of the students that got kicked out of the school. 
but he would show up every now and then. I think he was really awesome and felt good about himself. So Sensei Dimitri wasn't there that night. We had another black belt running the class. And so after the sparring was over, people were learning and stuff. And again, we would all kneel around and watch because, again, learn from watching. Don't just whatever. So this guy, and again, if a higher-ranking belt, especially a black belt, asks you to spar, he sparred. You don't, there's no question. They ask. It's not an ask. It's Mm -hmm. stand up. So this guy, he got his jollies out of getting, you know, maybe green belts, or whatever our level is, doesn't matter. But guys that have been in class less than a year. Mm-hmm. And so he would have them spar. And instead of helping them learn, his he spent time hurting them if he could. Wow. Well, here's what happened, which was so cool. <laughs> He's doing this, and in the middle of class, or in the middle of these sparring sessions, it gets real quiet. I was like, oh, whatever. And all of a sudden, we see out of the corner of our eye, Sensei Dimitri had shown up. And he was just standing at the corner, you know. And again, this guy was doing whatever. And... Since they didn't stop him, didn't chastise him, just watched it. And when it was over, the guy looked up and saw Sensei Dimitri, so he bowed out, and he's getting ready to leave. And Sensei Dimitri goes, no, 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 stay there. Well, this guy had a really good friend who was a third-degree black belt. His name was Roland. Amazing guy. Nicest guy you meet outside the dojo. In the dojo, do not mess with him. <laughs> so he looked at Roland. He said, Roland, I need you to spar. Roland knew exactly what he was supposed to do. <laughs> and he basically... 20 minutes gave that guy the lesson of a lifetime just anywhere and everywhere except the face and when it was over that guy had learned that's not how you treat our younger students and i was all of us are like oh my gosh but again roland had the control so and even though this guy was a black belt he was again Going for some people think, you know, from first degree to second to third, it's kind of close or whatever. Well, first degree black belt, basically, that's when you're starting to learn. Yep, I'm ready. Well, Roland, that was third, that he knew his stuff, he could control it. There wasn't a place he couldn't hit if he wanted to. He could literally, you've seen him in movies and he could do it. He could throw a roundhouse kick to your face and stop it half an inch from your face. And you knew if he didn't, your head was gone, but that was it. And then he would take, uh, my favorite was when he would do the front punch towards the person's stomach. And when they start to flinch, he'd stop the roundhouse right at their head. And then he would smile and go back. But so that was, uh, that was stuff you didn't do. And so after the shoot, fighting, yeah, Yeah, after that was sparring, because in judo it's called Randori. Yes. So anyway, so I'm sitting going, because I also studied judo, but we'll get to that later. Yep. Um, and so then we would have the first night we were there, we had a party. I thought, this is awesome. <laughs> I can't wait. What the party is, is everybody got a rag. <laughs> and we lined up across the dojo. And it's like if you've watched people sweep the floor on a basketball court, they kind of overlap the mm-hmm. brooms as they sweep. Well, we did the same thing with the rags. But we got down in a bear crawl, and we would push the rags back and forth to clean the floor of the dojo. And we would do that as long as since they thought it needed to be done until it was clean. Let's say some nights it took longer to clean the floor. And so, but again, it was teaching, you come in clean, you leave it clean. You do this, you do that. Plus, bear crawl is awesome for your legs and and everything else. So again, yes. It could have been a punishment, but I, I really, I never looked at it as punishment. I looked at it as we needed to learn a lesson and we were learning it. 
Uh, so, but I still remember being so naive because all the rest of it, it's time for a party. All the older belts is like, oh yeah, party. And we're like, this is going to be great. And it's like, take the rag. So <laughs> that's how we would finish up. And then we would uh, change and go wherever we went. Wow. That actually sounds like a lot of fun. It was, <laughs> it was great. I, I truly, uh, at this time, my knees wouldn't do it, but I, if I'd have stuck with it for the whole time till I moved up here, it was, it was, that was when I really learned that any martial art, truly the secondary part is the physical of protecting or harming. The first part, I mentally and everything, it was so different and so important, which did wonders. And you said you were down there. I think, I think you mentioned how you got your green belt. Now, did you, at, I don't know how it was back then. Did you ever do any teaching or did you not no, let belts that no, low? In our, no? at, and also the school is big enough. Okay. We had probably 20 black belts in our school. Wow. So okay. it was, there was always someone to do that. Now, the brown belts helped individually. And again, I'm okay. going to see if I get it right. Sensei was teacher, but our senpai would be more of a friend who was a higher rank. Okay. And so our senpai as a brown belt, they would help, but under the tutelage of a black belt. Okay. It was never where with judo, I was at schools where there was only one or two black belts was a brown belt. I did some teaching, okay. you know, but that was out of necessity. Uh, but I was lucky enough, like I said, uh, there was never a class that was not run by a black belt. Okay. You were there for a while, got your green belt, and then you moved out of the area. Yes. What What came next in your martial arts journey? Yeah. So I moved out of the Covington, Kentucky area and moved up here to Fargo, North Dakota. Another story, since this is all about martial arts, we'll just leave it as I moved up here. No yep. big deal. So when I moved up here, I was trying to find a martial arts school, uh, preferably hard style of karate, because that's what I knew. And I was here for about a month. And there was a studio that was opening brand new called the, gosh, Martial Arts. I can't even remember the name of it now, mm -hmm. but it was a studio and they had karate, they had judo, they had gymnastics and they had dance. Okay. And so I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So I went in and I didn't have a job at the time. I'd been up here about a month maybe. And I went in and uh, the guy that owned it again, don't need to say names, but he was a con man and he was a black belt in judo. Very good. He had four sons that all became black belts in judo, and all of them got four-year rides to major colleges for wrestling. Oh, okay. Because for people, the, the easiest way for me to explain to uh, non-martial artists, I think of karate could be more like boxing, judo could be more like wrestling, mm -hmm. which is just very simplified yes. for you know. But as someone that doesn't know, that's the easiest way to explain it. And then if they want to talk, I'll explain the true intricacies. Right. But a lot of, uh, I saw a lot of wrestlers that uh, studied judo problem was person that had been in judo the whole time could just clean their clocks because it is groundwork it is that but it's so, so different so anyway uh so this guy was a con man and i knew the woman who was teaching the aerobic dance and they needed to have a set of stairs built well the job i had before i came up i was working construction and so like i could build a set of stairs so i was building the stairs and there was a manager who i don't know who it was but they fired him, all right? And part of me building the stairs was, and I don't know why, I, I think I leaned towards the judo because the guy that was the owner, he I talked to him about martial art, and he was like, I think you should study judo from me. So that's what I got started with. It. And again, he was amazing. And the guy was you know, so talented there. So I started doing that, and I was going to do that in exchange for the carpentry work instead of getting paid. And long story longer again, within a month... I went from doing a little carpentry work to being a judo student to managing the place. Okay. <laughs> okay. Nice. Now, again, we have a whole long story with that. We'll stick with the martial arts part. 
So anyway, I was managing, taking judo lessons and stuff, and there was a gentleman there by the name of Vern Borgen, who became my sensei, because at the time, Vern was a brown belt. I'm not sure where he had been going to study, but he was now in town able to study under this gentleman. And Vern, Sensei Borgen, to me, in my youth, I didn't really realize it, but the older I got, he was the epitome of what judo means. He, it's, uh, for those who don't know, judo means gentle way. And it sounds like you're slamming someone to the ground or you're choking them out or whatever else, but it, but you're doing it gently, which is one of the reasons why a lot of uh, police officers in Japan are expected to be black belts in judo and not karate. Because you want to subdue your opponent and get him to the jail without breaking something, you know, whatever. But so Sensei Borgen was truly the um, gentle way. And anyway, while the black belt con man was still there, he'd worked with Sensei Borgen and Sensei Borgen received his black belt. All right. So while that was going on, I was studying and totally different, but my ego accepted it was I was moved up very quickly. Because he needed a teacher. I had learned the basics, but I should have studied at least another year and a half, two years before I was a brown belt. Wow. I just feel that from what I had learned from the other school, which really is like, this is how it goes. Mm-hmm. Now, I think I think I did a pretty good job. And um, so I was teaching as a brown belt because we had a lot of younger kids and that coming in. So it's one of those things where it's like, I know more than they do, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so that was it. Um, I still remember, oh my gosh, one night we had a uh, West Fargo cop that came to study and it may seem like as though, but I would have swore he weighed 300 pounds, but he had to be at least 250 and he was big, but again, he had just started. So I'm the one that knows things. I've got to adjust myself to help him. Well, let's face it. He's much stronger than I am and much bigger. So I was trying to adjust and I went to show him a throw and he was twisted, so he would have been hurt. So I let it go, and his full weight landed on my body. I thought my rib cage was crushed. I thought I would never breathe again or whatever. Um, so that's one of the things I remember. But again, what I learned from my karate sensei is if you're the teacher, you protect the student. Right. You're not there. And so without thinking, now I go, what kind of an idiot? <laughs> Basically, it's like I jumped in front of a bus for someone. So that wasn't too sharp, but it worked out okay. And um, so then what happened was because of the con, bills weren't being paid. Things were happening. We actually, even one of our students was a deputy sheriff, not this same guy, but a different one. And uh, he really did his best to support us and help us and make things work. Uh, But finally, he had to realize there's a con going here. We've got to get out of it. So the studio closed down. And at that time, I was a brown belt. Mm -hmm. Gone to some competitions. I went to, I can can jokingly say, yes, I was in an international competition. I went to Canada. Okay. (laughs) Still international, all right? That's true. And I went, and the first time I went, I went as uh, my first tournament ever. There were four of us young bucks, you know, I think 22 to 24. And so we were going for a trip for a um, competition. And one of them had to work until two in the, or one in the morning at a bar. So the tournament was that the day of him getting off at like 10 o'clock in the morning. So we picked him up from the bar and we just started driving. And I still remember my first time ever in Canada, anything. And we weren't trying to be smart, Alex, but we were exhausted. And I still remember to this day, the, bo- the border guards like, where are you guys coming from? America. Where are you going? 
Canada. <laughs> and we were, it was just like, first, where the hell you think we're coming from? And this is where we're going. Um, and so we got to the college a lot sooner than it was ready to go to open. So I remember for us to get in to get some sleep, there was like a little lounge and we climbed the fence to get into the lounge <laughs> so we could sleep because we were exhausted. And that was my first judo tournament. And I received second place because I lost to one of our guys that was from our dojo. So we had first and second. But that was when I first realized why I didn't wrestle in high school because ours was almost total groundwork with this the one guy. And in a wrestling match, you know, you pin the guy's shoulders and you're done. In a judo match, to win, you get you need one point. But the one point can come from a perfect throw or if you get someone on the ground, you have to control them for 30 seconds. Half a point is 25 seconds. Well, I just ask anyone, try this. Find something to push against something that doesn't move and do it for 30 seconds. But now make that be your whole body because your arms have to be played. Your legs are out stopping. And I remember I'm holding this guy and I won. And I came off the mat and I went to the bathroom and threw up because wow. I was just so exhausted. I'd never done because when we were practicing in class or whatever, we were helping each other. Mm -hmm. I didn't have someone that was really trying to stop me. And so that was like, whoa, is this what it's going to be like? And so uh, so that was my first tournament, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a good time, whereas my first tournament in karate, the next day I couldn't raise my right arm <laughs> because I was blocking all of the kicks and punches. No, my left arm, because I was blocking all those in my arm. I just couldn't raise it. During the tournament, I was fine. Yeah. Now, with judo the next day, I was exhausted and maybe a little sore, but totally different ball game. Yeah. So then... Sensei Borgen and I, we really wanted to keep doing judo, but we had no place to do it. So at the time, um, Mother's Records had a store over, um, you know where SARS gas station is? Yeah. Okay. In that corner area somewhere, there was a red building that was Mother's Records, mm -hmm. and it just emptied. And so Sensei Borgen and I decided to start our own company called Gentle Ways. And we opened our first judo studio there. And we built our first spring-loaded floor. But the way we built it was we used 1x12s and drilled parsley in them and glued tennis balls underneath. So then we put upside down the board, and then we laid the mat over those boards so there was a little bit of give. And it was tennis balls, not a spring. Wow. And so that was our first, uh, again, because uh, for anyone, uh, even though you do groundwork with, like you said, with Taekwondo or some other stuff, Unless you have to, I would suggest not doing groundwork on a hardwood floor. You know, if you're in the middle of something, you've got to. But and especially since judo is, you know, so much throwing and falling and that stuff. So we built the spring-loaded floor. weren't sure what we were doing, and we created it, and it worked. Uh, so Sensei Borgen and I started Mother's Records in, uh, I'm thinking it was around 85, somewhere okay. around there, maybe maybe 84. So, And the part that hurt us the most was the heat. Uh, the rent was fine everything else but in the middle of winter the heat was like three times the price of the rent wow so we lasted there less than a year and then what we did was we started teaching at the y at that time i was also teaching school and again if you're a teacher you're a teacher i'm sorry i mean that's just the way it is now yep. you can learn to be a teacher but if you're a teacher and i think that's why i moved up in judo with the brown belt so quickly was the con man gentleman realized that i could teach so that was it so Sensei Borgen and I, for a while, we ran adult classes and children's classes, and we both taught both of them together. And then we decided that it was just a lot for us. So he would be in charge of the adult, I was in charge of the kids. Okay. So we would go that way. And at these times, we were still 
going to tournaments at different times and doing things. And so we were at the Y doing that. And the coolest thing was I remember one student, again, don't need to go with the name, but they were the epitome of the kid you knew that was getting picked on at school every day. Just he was kind of soft, kind of whatever, and you knew it. And I thought he'd last about a month. I really did. He kept coming back. He kept coming back. And it's easy to keep coming back when you're a good athlete. Mm -hmm. It's easy to come back when you keep doing things right. But he kept coming back. And now, and so I had to step away for a while. I was diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis and I couldn't even grip a gi. I couldn't grab things. Uh, But I saw him like four years later. And man, he was the most confident, upright young man. It was so cool to see what judo had done for him. So that was it. So we taught the Y for a while. And throughout that time, I ended up getting my black belt from Sensei Borgen. Another funny story. I got weird stories that happened to me. <laughs> uh, remember I said I was kind of cocky and stupid at the same time? Oh, yeah. Well, we, one thing you learn, many things you learn in judo, but every class you fall. You start the class falling. Don't, I don't care if you're a black belt, if you're a, you know, 100-year-old person, a 5-year-old or whatever, we fall every class. And it's falling to the back, falling to the side, falling to the front. Forward rolling falls, we just did them all the time. Well, one of the games we would play was we would put people on their knees and line them up anywhere from 5 to 10 deep. And we would run and dive over. And the goal was when you landed, the way you create, put your hands to make the natural shock absorbers and roll to the side, um, we want to see who go to the farthest with not only just the farthest, but with the smallest amount of running. Okay. So we really, you know, again, but so again, you know, oh, I'm pretty cocky. I can do this. And it was like two weeks before my black belt test. So I went and did it and I cleared the people, but to clear them, I really had to twist and I came down on my right shoulder. Oh, that was killing me. It was hurting so badly. And so it's like, Sensei, how you doing? Oh, fine. Yeah, you know, just a little, but oh. <laughs> so anyway, I iced it and did whatever. Da, 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 da. And um, if anyone's ever taken a judo black belt test, you usually, because you've got to be able to fall just as well as you can throw, because you've got to be able to do it all. So I probably, I did the test, saved the suspense, I passed it. Shoulder was not doing well, but I was able to do what had to be done. I figured when the test was over, I had fallen without being thrown maybe a hundred times i'd been thrown so i had to fall properly 150 times wow and then i had to do throws of different size right and left side probably another hundred times and that's not counting the other stuff we did Mm -hmm. so again it wasn't you don't you're not giving it you either earn it or you don't and it's never held against you you can try again but again not till sensei says you're ready you don't ever ask and so that was where i achieved my black belt and as I said, later on was when I developed psoriatic arthritis and it was through my whole body. Um, knocking on the door was impossible. Gripping a gi, no way I could do that. And so a lot of stuff I couldn't do. But uh, I did last ah, 1987. So we must have started that school in around 84, 85. Because in 1987, you were not looking at, but listening to the North Dakota state champion for the hundred and. 80 weight class now remember back then i was 140 it was such a small group of people we had to put them in groups and so i weighed the least of the 180 but the reason why i won it was because the other ones weren't really good at arm bars and i learned those because again i'm not big i'm not strong which you don't have to be 
But I was still in my, I mean, I'm sorry, three years is not a long time to learn judo. Mm -hmm. Maybe 10, maybe 20. But I still remember to this day, I had taken the rest of them and this other one, he was long and angular and tall. And I'm like, I'm never going to get inside on him or whatever. And so basically, I was finally able to get him to the ground, wrap around and put him in an arm bar that made him tap out or I didn't ever want it, you know? So that's like, uh, that was many years ago. I probably got lucky and <laughs> no big deal. That's kind of cool. So now you said you started teaching as a brown belt. Now, obviously you taught school in the public school system. Mm -hmm. How do you think you're, since that first time teaching, mm -hmm. whether in school or in martial arts, how do you think your teaching style changed over the years? Um, actually, uh, it changed. Part of it was almost, I would put on a different skin. If you want to think about it is when I taught, judo i really uh, i tried to have the gentleness of my sensei along with the sternness of my karate sensei okay okay so i i didn't explain a lot i said here's what we do do what i do not what you think you should do but i kept stressing i mean i never threw people's clothes out the window <laughs> i never did that but once and the funny part was was i was i think i told you i taught uh, I had a judo club at my school. Yep. Well, that was real interesting for my students because they'd see Mr. Lucas, the school teacher, who's kind of wacky and crazy and had a lot of fun, who could still be stern. And when they walked on, and to me, a dojo is anywhere you're working out martial arts. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've known uh, some of the biggest dojos I ever heard of were in ballet dance classrooms, but you walk in, it's a dojo for this, whatever. So when they would come in, I taught them all the basics of the discipline. As soon as you walk in, shoes are off. You don't talk. You don't joke. You don't laugh. You know, that stuff happens outside. We walk in, we're ready to go. The proper way to line up. And I also told them, I said, um, we line up highest rank to lowest rank, except for one time. Whenever you go to someone else's dojo, whether you're a black belt or whatever, you go to the end. You don't get up with the other black belts. You go to the end because you're not from their school and you respect what they do. Mm -hmm. And so I said, but none of you are like that. Don't worry about it. And you're all brand new. So I think at that time I did just tallest to shortest. I don't know, whatever. But then what happened was whenever someone, because they could start any time. That was where I really learned that no matter what level someone's at, they can come in and they can start. You don't have to teach over, you know. But whoever came in, I expect the ones who were there before, they taught them the rules. I didn't have to. Okay. It's like when they come in, you tell them where to go, where they should be, and how we get, and then we go through it. So I made, so it was much more structured than my classroom as an English reading or a drama mm -hmm. teacher, but the kids loved it. I mean, they really did. And also, I think part of it was I never learned Japanese, but I can speak it in a way that it's memorized and it's wrote. Okay. And I never once counted in English. Okay. always counted in Japanese. And the only reason was I felt it took them to a place outside of the Western culture. Right. You know, when you're, you know, I'm in a football, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, five. And I was that, well, everything we did, each knee, son, and you can get a lot harsher, you know, mm -hmm. each knee, son, she, go, roku, shichi, hachi, ku, ju. And they're not sure they're learning a pattern but if you said, Bill, what's number six in Japanese? Each Nissan, she go roku, roku. Okay. <laughs> I memorized it. I didn't learn it. Yep. Um, now, I learned the throws like osorogare, 
or Ogoshi, you know, so those I knew, but O means major, Goshi's mm-hmm. hip. So that I learned to speak also. I never said major hip throw. I never said shoulder throw. I said the Japanese name for okay. it. And one thing that did also is it made them focus and listen better. Because you say hip throw, they're already thinking of what a hip throw is. You say Ogoshi, they're like, what? <laughs> you know, so I spoke the directions or the name of it and the counting always in Japanese. Uh, I felt that helped them and it also pushed them farther. Now, and again, I was sterner but still gentle, but I never goofed off at all. Whereas in my classroom regularly, yeah. I'd joke with some stuff and do it. It's like, no, now before we'd start or before we were after we're done, but in the class it was straight there. So now you taught at a at, that was at a middle school. So curious, the kids who were in the judo club, now did you see a difference in them in your regular class and their behavior because of that? I didn't see it as much because I knew them okay. inside. Other teachers came to me. Okay. And they said, you know, so-and-so who's not been doing whatever, they're all of a sudden doing something, or they come to ask me respectfully something. And I go, huh, great. And, um, you know, I knew why. I didn't think I had to make the point, which leads to when you said, when you asked that question, when I taught at the First Martial Arts Studio, we had Saturday morning classes for kids. And a mother came in with these two little boys, and she said, I don't know what to do. What's going on? She goes, I don't know why. I shouldn't bring them here. And I said, why? She goes, they fight all the time. That's all they do is fight, 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 and I can't get them to stop. And I smiled and I said, tell you what, normally we have like a six-month thing or a year. I said, all I want is a month, a month of your payment. After a month, you decide. If it's not working for you, that's cool. So I had learned, like I said, from my sensei karate, we had parties at the end of every judo class. Now, since it was a mat, we didn't need to have that, but the kids were given brooms and stuff, and they wiped down the whole thing, and they learned the martial art at the same time. Well, it was the fourth week, and the mom, she came in, and she's shaking her head, and I'm like, oh, boy, something happened. One of, these, you know, one of them took one, you know, something we did. Now, they were too young. We never teach chokes or arm bars until after 16. Mm-hmm. That's just what we chose. You know, some people are idiots at 25 or whatever. Some kids at 12 get it, but we just chose 16. So these kids had never learned any chokes or arm bars. They might have seen them. And so I'm sitting there going, oh, God, these they got in a fight or they did something. She says, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, oh, what happened? She said, I was in the kitchen two nights ago, and I was cleaning up the kitchen, and one of my sons came and took the broom out of my hand and swept the floor. (laughs) And I started laughing, and I said, "What's, what's the problem? She goes, they've never done that before. I said, they do it here every day. We don't leave until it's clean. She said, I'd have never believed it. So again, and I never once said, that's what you're supposed to do outside of it. It's like, this is what's expected. And so that, and the same thing with school is no, of course they didn't become stellar students overnight, but subtle changes. And so that's what was cool to see. See, that's something where I I know I talk about this. A lot of my guests that I think martial arts should be part of the school system. I agree. Well, funny you should say that. Yeah. Jigoro Kano, who started judo, mm-hmm. what he did was he, because he was an educator. Mm-hmm. That's where, well, he took jujitsu. And if you study jujitsu, everything is here's how to break the wrist. Here's how to tear apart the knee. Here's how to incapacitate. And he thought, I can't put that into an educational system. So he took the whole process and I'll say tweaked instead of transformed. So he took everything he could take without injuring someone and put that into a system. And then stuff like an arm bar. Yeah, if they don't tap out, that arm, that elbow is going to give because it doesn't go that way. Or if you're choking someone out, just so people know you're not choking them at the throat because that voice box is very, then well, all you're doing is cutting off the blood supply to the brain. 
And once you let it go, they've passed out, but they'll wake up pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Usually. No, they always do. Um, but so as an educator, he wanted to get that into the Japanese education system. And he knew he couldn't sell it as jujitsu. So he's he is the father of judo. Yep. And um, so that is how he was able to get an educational system. And you'll see it throughout Japan. But you also see kendo and some other martial arts. But his first thing was, I'm an educator. How can I get martial arts into the school? And I, I agree with you 100%. I think if I'd have given anything, if someone would have given that to me, Starting first grade, we had five year olds, so I don't whatever. But it is something that one, it definitely is a lifetime skill. Yeah. But what I always tell people is, it's really not a skill; it's a lifestyle. It really is. Is you, to me, the best martial artist you don't know because they don't walk around in that. What they do is you can see the confidence. You can see because uh, one of my senseis also said, the best reason for not getting in a fight or whatever is people won't try because they'll notice, you know, you're not a locker hugger. You don't walk along the thing. Now you don't walk through, get out of my way. Mm-hmm. You just got a little, an air of confidence and bullies pick on weak. They don't pick on confident and strong. So that was uh, one thing. And uh, so that was another thing they mentioned is they felt that the students who were quiet with me, they just seemed more outgoing. Again, you don't turn 180 degrees, but that goes with them. And now I'm in the middle of telling you something, and I'm not sure what point I was trying to make, but it was a good point. It's a great point. I'm sure actually. it was important. So what do you think it would take to get that? And I mean, it's uh, to me, it's in my opinion, it's, there's just, there's, it's almost like there's too many styles, obviously. You're never going to, yes. you're never going to get the U.S. education no. system to agree on one. Right. That, that will never happen. Yeah. It's got to be per school. Yes. Pick the right instructor. It has to be very vetted. Right there. First thing you just said, which is to me the only thing, I don't care what the martial art is, the correct sensei. Exactly. People always ask because they'll say, oh, which is better, judo or karate? Or and I said, just so you know, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's basically who's got the better sensei. Because if you've got a good teacher, you'll be really good at what you do and it works out. And so, again, there is no better. It's yeah. a different thing. Like Aikido, you and I both know. Aikido, you're almost never doing anything physically throwing stuff, but you're doing movements that I've watched an Aikido master. I'm like, that's all fake. That's magic. It's like, no, it's boom, it's there. And so that's not better or worse either. So what you just said there, and that's the hardest part because. Um, because there's con artists. Yes, there's like, con artists. Yeah. And then also uh, the one thing with judo, there's really only two styles. There's hard style and there's soft. We always taught the soft style. Because hard style, like what we wanted to do is we wanted to sweep someone off their feet and they never felt your foot catch it and then they're down. Hard style is you're almost, you're just kicking at their ankles and Mm -hmm. trying to get them out of the way. So hard style would be hard in the classroom or in the school because, yeah, I mean, you walk out with bruises and all kinds of stuff. If you could have Sensei Borgen or some of his followers that understood soft style, it would be amazing. But... We also have a Western civilization that has this belief that, like the the mother that brought her child, oh, you're teaching our kids to beat each other up. Yep. You know, it's like, not really. We're using it to teach them a lot of other things. It's kind of like I used to tell people, they they would always say, you know, what do you teach? And I'd say, kids, (laughs) students. And they go, no, what do you teach? I said, I just told you. Oh, you mean what subject? I use drama to teach kids. I use English to teach kids. One of my friends uses science to teach kids. He doesn't teach science. He doesn't teach the, he teaches kids, but he uses that. My martial arts students, yeah, judo is what we were doing, but I wasn't teaching them judo. 
I was using judo to get to them. And that's nothing. The martial arts has enough of a mystery that kids will put up with other things like the discipline yeah. that they'll, cause they want to see what's going on here. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's the way I look at it. That's great. So someone approaches you and whether it's for themselves or for a kid, there's like, I'm thinking of getting involved in martial arts. I'm thinking of getting my kid involved. What are some tips you would give what to look for in a school, what to look for an instructor, what to avoid maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a great place. Cause like I said, I've, I've been lucky twice. I never went looking. I just happened to luck into it. I have to throw one more thing in before I finish mm -hmm. up. I'm also one of the lucky ones that actually was able to go to the school where judo was invented. Oh, wow. The Kodokan in Japan. Nice. You want to talk about an amazing place to go. You walk into the Kodokan and I was just, I couldn't breathe. I was amazing to see, you know, 50, 75 black belts and this stuff. And you'd see a guy that had to be in his eighties and someone else, whatever. And it was, yeah, that's, you know, talk about the, the trip to Mecca, you know, mm -hmm. the trip to the Kodokan, if you're a judoka, amazing. So I had to get that in there because it cool. was very cool. Oh, that's great. And actually a Japanese gentleman who didn't study judo got me there because I got lost <laughs> and I was lost in this businessman. I'm trying, trying to find the uh, Kodokan. Oh, and he didn't get on the train for going to work. He walked me all the way to the Kodokan wow. and then I thanked him and then he left. So again, you learn those things. So either way, what do you look for? I think to me, the first thing is if I was, and again, now they're really good about letting people watch class, you know, where it used to be is like, <laughs> come and that's what, I mean, I don't think we ever had visitors that since say Dimitri's class in karate. I don't remember, but we, I don't think so. But I would look for an instructor that oh, I, I, you know, look for a cocky attitude that they, you know, stay away. You know, if they, now the one thing that's kind of hard because almost every martial arts school, their sensei thinks their martial art is the best. Yeah. So I'm saying there's no problem with confidence, but cocky bothers me because cocky leads to mistakes. And also I think cocky teaches you things that are not good in life. Class examples, because people have seen it, almost everybody, if you want to take the karate kid. Okay. The guy that, what's, who was the guy that broke the, he had Cobra Kai. Uh, John Kreese. John Kreese. Okay. He was confident and cocky, and his mindset was injure, win at all costs. Mr. Miyagi was learn, you're there to help others, you know, you only use it for self-defense. I think that's one of the big yeah. things that's never used except for self-defense or to get people out of burning buildings, yeah. um, <laughs> as my sensei said. So I would look for that. I would look for uh, when you talk to the instructor that they're not trying to prove themselves. You know, they're just talking, hey, I had a, um, a gentleman I took a, a Qigong class from, which is breathing, mm -hmm. and he was very calm. If one, someone had told me I could stand stationary for a full hour and say nothing, I'd have never believed it. But he, always, he would say, he says, we do this. It works. You believe it? You don't believe it. Doesn't matter to me. It works. <laughs> All right. Wasn't trying to prove anything. So well. I would look for a martial arts uh, instructor that does, that is humble. And when you watch the class, again, you will see them pushing their students, not letting up on them, but not pushing in a way that can lead to harm. And to me, it's kind of like, sometimes you can't explain it, but you know it when you see it. Right. You know, you can see it. And that's why I think, uh, definitely nowadays, because there are so many con men, con women, you should go to a few schools because you'll be able to see and also the atmosphere of do the students show respect all the time? Are they allowed to let it slide sometimes? Nope. 
don't want to go there because again, it's got to be, it's, they're not going to learn a skill. They're going to learn a lifestyle. So uh, calm, strength, confident, not cocky. And how am I going to say this? One uh, years of, even though I said, you know, I was teaching as a whatever age, but the school itself, they're not going to stay around very long if they're not good. So a brand new school is not necessarily wrong, but if there's one that's been in the area for 20 years, they're doing something right. And so I look for that. And I guess the last thing would be them showing respect for you as their student. When they talk to the parent or talk to the person that's coming there, they don't demean you or act like you're lucky to be there. They know that they're lucky that they get to pass on their martial art to a new student. Okay. So I guess that's probably oh, what I would look great for. Answer. That's probably what I look for. What are your thoughts on MMA and like the whole UFC thing over the last 25 years? I, are, are you a fan? I'm a fan. I do. Nice. It's a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Um, I, again, it's uh, now I will tell you this. I've become less of a fan because once they started making a lot of money, they had to get the persona of WWE trash talk, destroy, yep. you know, whatever. When I first saw MMA, I loved it because it reminded me of what I learned from Sensei Dimitri in karate. During a tournament, your job is to win and your job is to fairly do whatever you do. As soon as it's over, you bow, you shake hands, you respect the other people. You never trash talk. You never do that. And so I thought, okay, this is combat and they're using it, but you can see they've learned the other lessons. Yeah. Those lessons are gone. I, I mean, it's, and I understand where it's coming from. I'm sitting there going, let me see, Bill, you can make $5,000 a year and do it what you think is the right way. Or if you learn to play the game, you're going to make a million. Kind of hard to say no to a million dollars. So I'm not, uh, I'm not upset with them. I just, because we all want to say, oh, I would be a bigger man than that. I can't say I would, you know, I'm like, a million dollars um so that part bothers me also the part that i struggle with is also learning from sensei dimitri and when i watch i mean i taught stage combat so i know it's fake to look real but if it's done right someone doesn't get six seven punches you give them one where it's supposed to be it's done it's over where the even though i don't want to be hit by an mma person because they're powerful as i'll get out but they could have so much more power that isn't there because they're sloppy. And they, they're, they're making it on their strength and quickness, not necessarily their technique. Because I still believe if you give me a strong martial artist, a quick martial artist, and a perfect technical martial artist, I'll take the technical. Because they will be able to first anticipate before anything happens Here's, here's where you're going. I got this from, I forgot who the instructor was, but slow, perfect will become fast, perfect, but slow, sloppy will never become fast, perfect. Yep. So you give me a technician that learns all the proper technique and does it slow and does it powerful that can be done fast, but sloppy technique and strength will be beaten almost every time. So that's the part I, uh, I struggle with, but I'm sorry. I, I, I love to watch 
It's not, I like to watch people get beat up. And I mean, I don't mean it. And you're going, Bill, you spent this whole thing talking about kindness and caring. It's like, you know, we still have guilty pleasures. It's like, you know, people that are literature majors and they like to read trash novels. Yep. You know, we've got our side. Um, I think what it is with me now, what I look at the MMA or the UFC, I do. I watch to watch technique. I don't watch to see who gets, you know, I, I like more instead of the knockout punch. I love to see how they get them to the ground and how they move into an arm bar mm-hmm. or a chokehold. Because again, that's about submission. The injury is not there, but they know, you know, I kind of like the fact was, you knew I could do it. I knew I could do it. So we don't need to do it, nice. <laughs> you know? And that was, uh, to me, that's it. And again, that's what stops a lot of fights where they start. We both know what's going to happen. Yep. So why do it? Um, so I, yeah, I'm not going to lie when I, when I watch MMA or UFC, I don't watch as much as I used to, Mm -hmm. but when I, especially when I hear of a, um, big fight of two people that have done it forever and whatever, and they're top of the game, I like to watch anything where people are the best. Uh, you know, we just finished with the Olympics, you know, some of those sports, I don't know. I've never seen them before, but when you watch it and you see they're at the top of what it is like, that's really cool. Not my thing, but it's really cool to see people be the best at it. Did you watch any of the karate in the Olympics this year? Uh, I don't have regular television yeah. and cable, and so I didn't get to. I did see one where a guy was disqualified. He thought he won, but was it a kick to the face, I think? I can't remember. And, if, yeah. But the part that I didn't understand was, like I said, our martial arts tournaments with karate, we could not contact the face. Right. we get a point if we threw the punch and it stopped. Point. But if you hit him... You would lose. I don't think it was. A, I think it was to the body, but I think they just said it was excessive. Well, contact. see, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I was getting ready to say that's what blew me away. It was just like he hit him where he was okay to hit him, but they said it was excessive. So, what's excessive? If yeah. you break a rib or a sternum, or if you give him a bruise? So that's part where that I was like, I don't understand that. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I uh, uh, I understand protecting the face because head injury, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. A broken rib will heal. You know, my arm that I couldn't move from all the blocks, it got better. So when I, when I heard that, I thought he had kicked the guy to the head and it's like, all right, they were protecting the guy, but wherever the kick was, they said it was excessive. And I'm like, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. What's this excessive? I agree. So, so do you have over your decades in martial arts, do you have a one or two favorite philosophies that you've learned that really stand out? The one I did tell you, Mm -hmm. uh, slow, perfect becomes fast, perfect. Slow, sloppy, never becomes fast, perfect. And I use that in everything I teach. You know, when kids are, uh, when we're doing um, something on the stage and I've got to get them to a certain position and they go real quickly, I say, whoa, 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 take your time, take your time. Well, this, shh, take your time, take your time. Uh, stage combat, they want to throw a punch. Stop, stop, let me count it, take your time and they want and and that's where when i teach stage combat i teach that almost exactly like martial arts they don't do what i say they sit down and i just say when i think you're ready to get back up you can get back up it's just and i said because in dance if you mess up somebody gets their foot stepped on martial arts somebody gets their face crunched you know so it's a whole different ball game but so that one and my daughter uses the slow perfect becomes fast perfect and she's a choreographer and dance teacher at arkansas state university okay so it is you you've got to learn it that way so that's one of my biggest one and probably the other which i still struggle with is there's nothing wrong with taking time 
Okay. We want to rush everything. Here's one of my favorite stories. A young man went to a sensei and he said, sensei, I know you have classes five days a week, but I can't make that many classes, but I want to earn a black belt. Sensei, okay. He says, so if I come to two classes a week and I study hard, how long will it take me to earn a black belt? Sensei said, oh, about four years. He said, okay, I'll come twice the amount a week and work really hard. And the sensei says, about eight years. And he said, I will come every class and work whatever and do whatever it takes to get there. And the sensei said, you might get your black belt in 20 years. All right. (laughs) And so it was, he was trying to find the shortcut and the shortcut isn't always the way to go. Now there may be a time to use it, but I am one of those that do it now. And that was another thing I like about martial arts is it makes me slow down. And so, uh, if you get something too easily or too quickly, that's not always bad. I'm not saying that, but excellence takes time. You know, when I would teach theater, kids that would do one acting exercise, oh, I got this. It's like, no, you don't. We're going to do it every day for whatever else. But we, that's that's not a Western philosophy. It's as I've done it once, I've done it twice, I know it, let's move on. You know, as a judo, a judoka, because we fall every class and it's the exact same thing. I have probably fallen and that's because I've been out of it for a while. But if I'd been doing it as long as I've alive or doing it, I'd have probably fallen 50, 60,000 times, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think I got it the first, you know, thousand. Sorry, <laughs> keep doing it. So that was, I've never been to a judo class where we don't do the falls ever. There's never been one. So it's, and, and you get to the muscle memory. I have, Walked away from three motorcycle crashes, two of them that totaled it, and every one I went forward off the front of the bike. Now, I am not some Superman or some crazy person or some, you know, whatever, but I learned to fall going forward, and I've learned it because we did it over and over again. When I'm going into the, the side of that truck or that car, it never once crossed my mind to, okay, let's see. Put your hands here, do this, turn your head, land, you know, whatever. Insane. My body just did it. And I and I and I joke with people because my favorite is because I'm still a wise ass. And so how'd you walk away from that? And I would always say, I'm a ninja, you know. <laughs> but basically it wasn't anything. It was just I did it over and over and over and over and over again. So I think there is no quick fix. There is no so those would be the way I look at it, and probably I should have said this first, but save the best for last. You don't study martial arts to harm. You study martial arts to help. That's the way I would look at it. Okay. If you had to pick one martial artist, whether it's someone you've actually met and trained with or just one that you look up to or admire, who would be at the top of that list? Oh, come on. We're the age. Do I I have to pull Bruce Lee out of it? Should I take him (laughs) away from it? Um, not everyone's but, actually picked him. Well, so. yeah, no, I know. Yeah, and yeah. I, and for me, mine was cause mine, I have a very, uh, what's the term you want to use? Uh, not realistic because mm-hmm. all I ever saw was certain things, but one of the reasons, and if I have the book, I'm going to give it to you. It's, uh, I can't remember the name of the book, but I'm pretty sure I have it. And it basically is part of Bruce Lee's life being told by a producer in Hollywood that Bruce Lee taught one-on-one. Okay. And it, it gives you so much more insight than just, uh, it's like Bruce Lee was cocky. I'm sorry. He was cocky, confident and cocky. So from what I've said, I probably wouldn't pick him to be a teacher because of that. But he taught, you know, he created his own style, which that's the other part. Many martial artists, 
It was their own style. They took it and made some mm-hmm. adjustments. I don't know if people know, but one of the reasons why his stance was different from everybody else was because I think his right leg was shorter than his left. So he had the stance to protect that. But either way, that's more of the fantasy with Bruce yep. Lee. If, but if I was going to say a martial artist, gosh, if you, I guess if you don't look up to your sensei, that's kind of, I mean, he's pro- he had the biggest influence on me, yep. Sensei Borgen. He taught me humility over a period of time and not being afraid to have someone be better than you, not being afraid to learn from people that whatever. So yeah, Sensei Borgen and a real close second, even though it was only for a few short months is Sensei Dimitri. Okay. Because he was the one that started me on the path of the essence of we are teaching you a skill to help. If you want to use this skill to harm, I don't need you. So Good. yeah, I would go with those two. Okay. Favorite martial arts book? Moving Zen. Nice. Yes. Moving Zen is a story of kata because what people don't realize is they think of Zen as you just sit there and meditate and look at a wall or whatever. But uh, Moving Zen talks about doing kata, which I've mentioned before, and you get into a state of being there and not being there. Everything goes with it. And a classic example from a Western point of view are musicians. I'm sorry, they're not thinking, note, 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 note. They're just in it. Mm-hmm. You know, we usually call it in American society or Western, we call it being in the zone. Yep. Basketball players are in the zone. They said the game slows down. You know, things like that that happen. So the book called Moving Zen is awesome. I love it. So that's my favorite. Now there's another one that's called Live Longer, Love Longer, The Art of Chi. And it's written by a British gentleman okay. who was over, I'm not sure what country he was in, but he was just a salesperson and they stopped with a flat tire and he went up to, on a hill to sit under a tree to to wait for the guy to fix the tire and he barely made it up the hill. And he's like, this isn't good. And so it's really cool. It's the story of his life and his journey through learning the martial art and learning from a gentleman who was amazing. So it's those are my two books that I'll go back to and... The Power of Chi. That's what it's called. The Power of Chi. Live Longer, Love Longer. Okay. And amazing book. I would suggest that to anyone. It's okay. fantastic. And this one, not everyone has an answer to. It kind of depends on how you were growing okay. up. But Wait a minute. You know me. I haven't answered anything. Well, Even if I'm making it up, folks, I okay. have an answer. Right. Favorite martial arts video game? <laughs> I never played video games. See? Okay. <laughs> so I but I had an answer an for an, you. Yeah, I had an answer. <laughs> I. But you also remember how old I am. I was there when the video game was Pong. You know, you is had... That, is that karate? You, you, you had or, a... you. It was like a line that was about an inch and a half on both sides. And all you did was move it up and down. So as the ball went back and forth, you hit it. It was blocking. Yeah, that, it was blocking. That, that, that could have been. Um, actually, the only two video games that I can remember that I've played was that and Pac-Man. Okay. That, you know, now... You know, reflexes and stuff. So maybe, but I just, video games are never my thing. That's a new question I added recently. And like I said, not because a few people brought it up anyway. So there you go. All right. So last two favorite martial arts TV show. (sighs) Kung Fu. Okay. Yeah. With David Carradine. Yep. Now, nice story behind that. The person that came up with the concept and the script and everything was Bruce Lee. Yep. And they didn't use him because he looked too Asian. And so they brought in David Carradine. So that was one thing I didn't know. But again, if you think about it, why did Bill like that? That was the essence of what I've been talking about. You learn these things and you can use them to protect others. 
David Carradine never started a fight. He finished a bunch of right. them. And, but it always would go back to his teachings at the Shaolin Temple, which I really, really liked. So I would probably say martial arts TV show would be that. I was in it, but I, I lost some of the luster when I found out that it was Bruce Lee's idea and they stole right. it from him. So then you'd probably really enjoy the new show Warrior if you haven't seen that yet. You know what's funny? I just looked that up and it showed up on my Netflix. Did you know there's a new Kung Fu out? Yep. With, actually, a, with a female? Yeah, I watched the first four episodes. It's, it's not bad. Yes, I've yeah. been enjoying it. Uh, the only thing was when I first saw it and what it said it was based on, I was like, that's not based on that at all. Yeah. Okay, there's, the only thing is this woman was in the Shaolin Temple female for Completely three different. years. But it wasn't, no, nothing about it. It's just she uses Kung Fu. Exactly. Um, but again, it's, I'm enjoying it. I, 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 I think of it as Kung Fu light. That's maybe the yeah, way to do it. Is you, you know the lessons are still there, and again, you can tell that it's written for a Western audience. Yeah. Whereas Kung Fu, which Bruce Lee came up with, he didn't care. You're going to get his point of view, and it turned out that way. Yeah, um, that's so, why you'd like Warrior, I think. Warrior, it's, okay. It's essentially the notes that he wrote for Kung Fu. Oh, nice. So it's okay, his idea. I'm excited. Yeah, okay, it's, it's so, a good show. So I will be so, checking that out. So since you said Kung Fu, I have to ask: Did you ever watch the the sequel, The Kung Fu: The Legend Continues, that was out in the early '90s? You know what? It actually, I, had David Carradine in it. I could. Ha- okay. I, but was it a show or a movie? It was a TV show. Okay. If I did, I remember it, but I, I watched, if I watched any of it, maybe a couple episodes, yeah. but I remember when it came out. Yeah. David Carradine played, I want to say, Kwai Chang Kane's great grandson. Yes. Yes. And then his son was son. a cop. Yes. Okay. okay yeah. I did. Okay. Yes. I did. Yeah. Cause he, that's right. Cause the, the cop would be like, really? Yeah. Whatever. And he would, you know it was so yes i did watch that there you go and final final question sure favorite martial arts movie wow um probably enter the dragon nice i'm thinking into the Dragon. choice yeah i uh i would go with that actually it's probably not called a martial arts movie but i really love it roadhouse i love that movie okay some good martial arts in that yes and also great lesson yep okay I, uh, in Roadhouse, and again, I love good guy wins, bad guy loses. Mm-hmm. And I know people would, if, let's put it this way. If you haven't seen Roadhouse, you better see it. I don't care who you are. Yeah. But I'm not going to tell you what happens in the last fight between the total jerk bag and Patrick Swayze. Um, but anyway, uh, he teaches the exact lesson to the um, bouncers that was taught in my martial art. And I still remember this to the day is he's got all the bouncers who are being treated, they're acting like jerks and all these, they start the fights and all this stuff. He comes in as the cooler. The cooler is like the head, you know, uh, bouncer, bouncer yep. more like the sensei, you mm-hmm. know? And I remembered he was sitting looking at him and he goes, okay, somebody comes up and they call you a name. What do you do? And he says, be nice. <laughs> and then he says, someone comes up and he rips your mother, says something really terrible. And then some guy said, what if he calls you? And Patrick Swayze goes, are you? <laughs> and then he said, be nice until it's time not to be nice. Yep. Okay. And that's where my first sensei was. He was like, walk away, walk away, walk away until you can't. Then finish it. You know, so Roadhouse. Yeah, I wouldn't, someone probably wouldn't say it's a martial arts movie, but there's some amazing martial arts and hell of a good lesson. It's a great movie. Yeah. I watch it at least once a year. Yep. I got a yep. dozen or so movies I watch once a year, and that's one of them. Yeah, so. there you go. Cool. 
Well, Bill, I just want to thank you. This has been so much fun. Uh, I know we've talked about this stuff off recording before and everything, and it's kind of fun to get a record of it now. And and uh, always a pleasure and stuff. And uh, any last minute parting words you want to leave us with words of wisdom? Um, yeah, words of wisdom. Those don't seem to go with Bill Lucas very actually, well. Really quick, what we should do just sure. to mention, um, yep. Bill actually has a podcast himself. So quickly, give it give a shout out of the name, okay. and I'll be sure to put a link on there. Okay. Also, okay, my podcast is called Improvise Your Way Through Life. And it's based on a book I wrote. And it's, our life is almost all improvisation. Uh, It starts with one question. And the question is, are you doing now in your life what you thought you'd be doing? Almost everybody says no. And so the whole talk is just a conversation of the twists and turns that your life takes and how you adjust or improvise to get to where you got to. Uh, My opening is Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan when they get in the ring until you get punched in the mouth. (laughs) All right. And we all get punched in the mouth physically, emotionally, whatever. So that's a podcast. We do a lot of laughing. There's been a few tears because we get caught up in it, but I hope you would enjoy it. I've done about 30 of them now. Nice. And they're a lot of fun to do. Thank you for letting me give that plug. Oh, for sure. Cool. Once again, thank you for your time and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. It was awesome. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artists. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artists, and we'll see you next week.